0: Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew
1: Perot.
0: Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. We are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic
1: worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at com. All right, Derek, time to put on your X1 suit. Get yourself ready to take on the endless universe of the Oasis. We are entering Ready Player One.
0: Welcome back to uh, Wonder Tour. We're in the Wonder Stacks in Columbus, Ohio, 2045, and we're recording this in a
1: VW van under three (laughs) (laughs) semi-trucks. The time, (laughs) 2045, the city, Columbus, Ohio. Derek, we're, we're resonating with Ready Player One today as inhabitants of the present Columbus, Ohio. Did you see anything that you know that you recognized in the in the cityscape there or anything like that in the feel of it in the culture of it? Uh it's a little bit of a
0: caricature type representation. Um we definitely don't have any stacks. <laughs> so, <laughs> not currently. Not currently. Yeah. Uh, not too although many years I was aware apparently though. Yeah, it's very efficient because you do not have to have stairs, you know? Or ladders, like I guess there are some ladders, but there's no stairs that I could see. You have to walk through someone's house, uh, which is kind of like a quasi stair. So, um, I, I gotta say, probably my funniest or the funniest one that I saw was the lady doing the pole dance, but <laughs> it's just <laughs> you have to infer what the virtual game is. I'll leave it at that because uh, you
1: know she could be on a shopping trip, who knows? <laughs> All right, well, I'm pumped. I brought up Ready Player One. We're in this series on game theory. I thought this was a good opportunity to bring up a game within a game. We've talked about game within a game. That's not going to be the topic today specifically. But Ready Player One, if you're joining us today and you've never actually seen Ready Player One, I definitely recommend it. It's a really fun movie. It's kind of a modern play on Willy Wonka, though it's not necessarily just that. There's a whole lot more to it. It has all kinds of pop culture references to movie and TV and video games, of course, and they're all kind of like strung together in a fun way, kind of like a Wreck-It Ralph or something like that. It's really fun in that way. Um, The movie is like two hours, but it doesn't really feel that long, especially the first time you watch it, because while there's definitely glaring issues with the acting and stuff like that, it's just overall a really fun movie. So Derek, I think this was your first time watching it, correct? Yes, um DeLorean that
0: was the best part
1: <laughs> I honestly
0: when I when the thing was going by I was studying every detail of the DeLorean I mean I was just like oh, yeah got that time circuits on um you know just going down the list and um yeah I just really appreciated the I would say the maneuverability can you go because uh Michael J Fox really tested the maneuverability at the Twin Pines Mall um and that's probably one of the times we Got to see the DeLorean in an action like that. Uh, he was really running a test course there. And uh, Parsifal just blows that out of the water <laughs> with his, uh, his race with King Kong and all that. So, I mean, honestly, in that way, it feels dreamlike, um, you know, some of the scenes with the DeLorean. And then, you know, when he and, he and he does have the flying capability. So he's got the back to the future DeLorean, you know, from the second movie. Uh, Now, we didn't see any third movie, you know, stuff going on there. But anyway, my point is, is that DeLorean was fantastic. And um, so that was probably my favorite thing out of it all. I mean, honestly, relic wise, um, not artifact, but relics. Right. So uh, I want to
1: make that distinction there. Yeah, the artifacts are uh, an actual item in the game. Right. Those are the specific items that that have superpowers and are very rare and high level and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Well, that's sweet. I I appreciate that. Yeah, there is a lot of love and care given to the original properties that are brought into this movie for the most part. I greatly enjoy just the overall arc of the story here. And then, like I already kind of alluded to, some of the acting here. You know, we don't have some of the biggest name actors necessarily. Though we do have Simon Pegg, and he's awesome. But the the players i mean the actors play their roles well in within the scope of the movie they do a really good job of like playing to their character almost to their caricatures in some way which it, it, it's great i mean we have ben Mendelssohn in here who's playing the only thing i've ever seen him play with the, the evil corporation leader and and he does it really well i mean honestly he's he i hate to say it but he, he's like a very hateable villain <laughs> He's got a good
0: scary confidence voice and, and, and really you have to have that to be an evil anybody. (laughs) So, you know, it's gotta be believable, right? He's cold. He's super cold. Yeah. Yeah. His coldness. Yeah. Is, um, it's a very authentic coldness. So yeah, you're, you're just, you're really, you're feeling the ice on yourself, just kind of ice up. And, and you're also at the same time, you're like, Oh, I just want you to lose so bad. And you know, I felt the same way in uh, uh, Rogue One. You know, when he's, you know, he's like, I, you know, I built the Death Star and all that stuff, and you know, he, he's got the same thing. So I don't want to get too much into the actor, but the, the definitely the, uh, the architect that he uh, kind of exudes there, I think it's, it's, uh, it's believable, and I think that's what you need with a villain, because otherwise you're like, eh, I don't really, I don't really care about the stakes, you know but uh, he makes you care about the stakes in
1: the game. He does. He does. And we're going to contrast him and, and kind of talk about his relationship with Wade Watts, our protagonist here. So first, let's maybe stop and talk about Wade himself. What do we see in terms of his personality? How do we see him? He's clearly a very dynamic character throughout this movie. He's starting off in this kind of He's not in a state of stasis by any means, but he's just in it. We've used this many times before in the Wonder Tour, but we kind of talk about like the world becomes very small. And that's exactly the state that he seems to find himself in here. It's There's a line early in the movie where he's laying on top of the washer dryer in like a hammock type bed in the stacks. And he's trying to understand what you know what's going on he has these feelings potentially for artemis but he also has these feelings of like purpose and change and stuff and he's like maybe it's because she called me out sitting in my tiny corner of nowhere protecting my small slice of nothing that that's a stab (laughs) it also
0: sounds like kind of like a detective movie she was calling me out she was i was sitting in my stack or my my stack of nowhere you know whatever i'm just making a uh parody here but um He is living small and in some ways playing small. I mean, he's playing big, but I mean, like as with everything, um, you know, you need a little bit of entropy to shake things up, you know, and move things forward again. And and you know, for five years, they've been kind of like going on this and trying the same thing over and over. And, um, it's amazing. He didn't zero out on the race, you know, at, at some point in five years. Uh, although I think the portal opened later, right? So anyway, my point is, is that um, he needed to be shaken up a little bit. He's a little
1: bit of a loner, isn't he? He is, and that's his, that's his background. And some of us might come from similar backgrounds where we prefer to play the lone wolf role. And that's where we find him at the beginning of the story. He's not wanting to be too closely connected to anyone else. He has a best friend, H, but even then there's layers of protection between them. Um, they're more so trying to have fun and trying to, you know, than they are almost, and they have each other's backs, absolutely. You can tell from from the width they play, but you, you can tell they're not willing to share the why behind everything. Neither of them really is willing to share the why behind what they're doing, what they're doing. And maybe it's because they're they're just not vulnerable and they're not transparent, or maybe it's because they don't quite know the why themselves. I mean, part of it. I mean, I don't know. I have a theory that part
0: of it is just the speed of the game that's being played. Let's talk about something for a second that I was just thinking about, which is, it seems like these people don't sleep. <laughs> Am I wrong about that? Did I did I miss a scene where they were sleeping? Um, because I feel like, well, number one, I don't know if I was wearing a VR headset with full immersion experience you know where you can like you can feel the punch you can feel the kick um that would be exhausting
1: wouldn't it i think it is until you kind of temper your body to it and become more you know you just kind of get used to that exact experience and it becomes less you know just like people who swim many laps every day just become used to it and it it doesn't wear on them as much or people who run or bike or whatever I think it, there's that aspect to it, but I would point out that the only, yeah, the only time I think we see him sleep is when he's going to sleep in the scene. We just mentioned <laughs> when he's sitting laying yeah. on top of the, the washer dryer.
0: Well, I'm glad they included that because that's, I don't know like when you're, when you're contrasting reality and virtual reality, you know, you really got to, you, you got to have those, you know, grounding moments where, you know, I know obviously nobody ever sleeps in virtual reality. Right. Um, but it can't just picture go, go, go all the time because, you know, I think there's a play here and there's two games going on, right? And they are linked, right? And they have like links between them and, um, you know, you've got a game going in reality and you got a game going in virtual reality. Um, You know, and as we're talking about game theory here, right? um, Obviously this is super important to us because, and I think this is an interesting example because we haven't really talked about a game yet um talked about inception you know but we didn't really talk about that in terms of game theory right Uh, um but inception is similar to this because you know you're in the dream and then you're in the in the real world uh but you're not really doing anything in the real world so much uh in inception so i think that's interesting um so here we've got two active things going on and they are intertwined so obviously this is a little bit a little bit hearkening to matrix but
1: i'm not going to go there not today. We will eventually. <laughs> yeah. The matrix is definitely in the backlog for a wonder tour at some point. Um, maybe when the new matrix movie comes out or something like that, we'll throw back, but I'm, okay. So let's, let's stop and talk about what you just mentioned there for a second, kind of the speed of the game. I think this is a good point to talk about that because I'm struggling to wrap my head around it. Exactly. Because it's not our, it's not our present. Um, it, it, Life does feel really fast. Things do move fast. Obviously, when you go from snail mail to email and and you go from, you know, having to to call on a home phone to texting and stuff like that and, and, and social media messages, it's everything moves a lot faster. But we're not at the point yet where they're just flying, it seems like. They're, everything is, is just moving at like the speed of light because they can kind of, you know, you see them kind of like teleport in between locations. We're not let on of how that works within the game, but obviously there's no physical grounding to this game necessarily, so teleportation would be very possible, um, and, and is you know common in most video games because of the fact that it's not very fun to run back and forth or to have to like fly a ship back and forth between each each location um, when there's no physical space holding you back. So. It's partly the fact that the the physical transportation doesn't uh, is holding them back anymore. I think that's one of the things with the speed of the game, but it's also that a lot of it that's just one limit that's been crushed. There's all these limits that have been broken in the inside of the Oasis. So, as a result of these limits being being broken, everything moves so much faster right you're jumping from being at the you know the store or the mall or whatever buying new goods to being out on the planet i forget the doom planet or whatever um, where there's all this crazy dangerous stuff happening uh you're jumping into I mean, you, you're jumping all over the place here. You're in the how you're in the hotel and the shining, and <laughs> like you're just jumping back and forth at like rapid speed. So I like what you're talking about with Inception there. It's just almost like it's going even like a faster pace here. Well, I would I would say this that um, you know
0: each world, each planet that you go to, etc. I'm not really sure if we've got a lock on exactly how things. Let's just call them planets, I suppose, um, because they say Planet Doom. I don't know. I'll just say worlds, yeah. Um, but each one of them has its own set of rules, and I think one of the things that you're hitting on here with the game speed is when you're playing a grand game, you know, usually the rules are consistent across the games, and that is not necessarily what we have going on here because you mentioned transit, and in the race, it you are forced to use transit. Where you could just teleport to the finish line, but you can't, not in that game. Um, And so I think that that's interesting to see how constraints come down on you in each game, and how those could be different. And I think that's the kind of the world we got going on here now. Why? What makes that fast paced? Uh, It is hard to adapt
1: when the rules keep changing, isn't it? That's like That's some tough stuff there. It is. And it's kind of contrasted to the Hunger Games in that way a little bit, isn't it? Because in the Hunger Games, the rules change. The rules do change. Like, there's, like, a fireball that shoots out suddenly, and the trees are falling and stuff. And the game makers are, you know, dropping, you know, changing the the environment on you. But it happens much slower, it seems like. There's, like, a long, drawn-out story at play here. Whereas, at least the way that the story is told in Ready Player One, everything's moving super fast. And... What that does is it really, I think, plays at or or like creates, not necessarily creates, but uh, exposes some of the issues that we are probably currently running into as humans and will definitely run into as humans in the future, where as technology supports faster and faster pace of living and doing business, etc., are human beings capable of moving at that pace and flourishing? And notice how Wade
0: steps out of it, though. you know, um,
1: he, there's a couple
0: things that he's doing that I think we should you know note here, and it's something for us all to consider. Um, he refuses to clan up. Um, and I think that's one way where he gains control over the speed at which he's doing things. Um, you know, before the game starts taking off again, I think he's He's basically he'll go on certain mercenary missions, you know, to kind of just get his cash reserves back up, etc. Um, but he definitely refuses to clean up. And then the other one is that he's studying Halliday and uh, he's doing that at his own pace. And if you think about the
1: library, nobody else is there uh, quite often. Yeah, it's just him with the curator and he's he's going super deep. So this is just obviously a common trend, I think, that we see. You want to zig when everybody else is zagging or whatever, but he sees that everybody else is skimming the surface in this fast-paced game. They're just jumping from one thing to the next to the next to the next, because that's what the game allows you to do. And he takes it and he slows down and does a deep dive instead, where there you can even see him and H, you know, they're they're on this high-level world looking for this, you know, high-level artifact or something. They're they're going really deep in specific areas they're not just kind of skimming the surface you know hop he's never been to the club before right <laughs> it's like the biggest or the first club ever in, in the oasis that he's just never even been there before because he's not just skimming the surface he's going deep into certain areas you know obviously i would say the danger with that is just having
0: so much information and depth and then so, at some point you have to connect things together uh, horizontally And I think that's that's where we obviously see him uh, going in the movie, um, you know, which is he just starts to kind of go back and say, what have I missed here? And so these inferences take time. And obviously we're we're privy to that moment, just that moment where he just kind of starts to figure it out. (laughs) So, um, you know, that's I mean, that's movie magic. Right. But, um, you know, it fast forwards some of the the angst some of the frustration that you go through when you are deep diving and you are, you know, I would say that this is quite relevant, uh, today. Even let's, let's talk about technology, you know, where you, you know, people are saying, they'll start to say the buzzwords, they'll start to say these different things. And, you know, if you can provide a counterpoint to that, that makes you an entrepreneur, (laughs) you know, um, because there's so much bias uh, in the thinking uh, let's say you go to yeah, I'm not, you're just saying like a particular destination of innovation or whatever I don't care where it's at it could, it could be any of the the big innovation hubs in the world, but a lot of times you'll see you'll hear people talk about the same idea, but it'll just be repeated over and over. Um, and I think that's kind of what's happening here is that you got IOI uh, really leading the group think and um, you know, when you you know you're you're independently researching yeah your your ability to go deep you know you have to make some good choices but if you do you could come up with something that nobody else knows
1: right and that's kind of what he does that's right? what happens right that, yeah. yeah that's what halliday does and then wade after him he's bucking the trend and I, I don't know, again, when when we do these wonder tours, it's not that we're normally just finding a single formula and saying this formula works. Sometimes we do find a good formula and we're willing to kind of expose that and say that we believe in this formula until we're proven otherwise. But in this situation, we're looking at this in terms of a, this is a rudimentary model for thinking about this. And we can compare and contrast that to other models that we have for thinking about things or similar models, whatever. So what well, the model that you're talking about here, it seems like is the, Halliday and Watts are all about creating experience. You know, Watts is so clearly like the ultimate experience driven player. he he is all about getting that depth and that you know, the feels from that experience because he's he's deprived of that in his physical reality. So he has he's going searching for that that deep experience within the Oasis. And that's what Halliday was trying to provide. We have that flashback scene where Halliday is talking to Sorrento and Sorrento has this, Oh, yeah, we could have silver and gold and platinum and the best tier could be water because it's the Oasis. And Halliday's just like, absolutely not. It's like, yeah, we could do a subscription service like everybody else is doing. Of course we could, but that's that, you know, you're thinking about it like a businessman. I'm thinking about it like an innovator. And
0: it's, it's something that it's a, it's a, it is a big difference um, in philosophies. And I think this is great. We should, kind of talk about the moment here then, because there is this moment where Sorrento and Wade uh, meet up uh, virtually, well, he, holographically. So everything's flipped um, because Wade can't show who he really is. So he projects into the real world as his virtual character, um, because I don't know why Sorrento maybe doesn't want to reveal that he's was it Superman. <laughs> I forget um but uh anyway his character struck me as superman i, I could be wrong on that
1: what, was he superman um he is i forget who his character actually is in here uh well we'll get it up just keep going that's fine yeah i just his uh his character kind of
0: looked like a uh, superman so it was just funny to he me, looks but... like
1: yeah he looks like evil superman i'm not a here yeah exactly i'm like not like a man yeah yeah i'm yeah. not a huge comics buff honestly but, yeah, he, he looks like... I've seen seen that imagery before on, you know, across the web or whatever. Right. It's the wavy hair, the black wavy hair. Um, yeah, he anyway. definitely has the Clark Kent thing going
0: on. <laughs> yeah. You can, um, you can get the hair in the face. Exactly. And, you know, so... But anyway, he doesn't want to reveal that for whatever reason. So I think it's funny how they're actually the inverse of each other, where Sorrento doesn't mind re- revealing himself in public space because he is public, right? And like, People know who he is. Uh Wade, you know, obviously, because he's playing more of the prey and (laughs) Sorrento's a bit of the predator, um, you know, uh Wade's gotta hide his original identity. So anyway, they had this interaction and um, you know, it's a test, right? So let's talk about that test, Drew, and and just talk through kind of the mechanics of it and because there's some there's some good wisdom there.
1: Yeah, so in our moment um, you you kind of set the stage on the scene. The primary action that comes in this scene is when Sorrento has this offer on the table to Wade that he can, um, if he were to join IOI and provide his knowledge of the keys and knowledge of Halliday and stuff like that, he would give him just like, you know, what is at least to Wade coming from his current means, like infinite money, infinite influence, so you know the likes of which he's never seen before so he has this up until now in in his story what we have seen and what we haven't seen in ready player one he gets to the point now where it all comes to a head he's put so much effort into learning who Halliday is he's, he's learned the game in oasis he's become one of the best players in the game he's made friends and relationships and now it's all being put to the test in a single confrontation where he's going to have to decide if he's going to cash in everything that he's worked for up until this point, just to get kind of the fame and the money out of it. Is that, are you, what do you have to add to that Derek, before we kind of hop into what the test means and what, how it uh, affects us? No, I I think that's the dilemma. Let's
0: let's start with the fact that that's the dilemma for him. Right. Um, Now, Let's talk about the other stuff.
1: Yeah, so let's, all right, now let's dive into the application to our lives. So those of you who've been on this tour with us, some of you may agree with this, some of you may disagree with us, but just uh, humorous here where we talk about the test. It seems like this comes up often in all kinds of, you know, all the ancient sages talk about this type of stuff, mythology. Um, It's constantly coming up that humans are going to face a test, and via that test, they're going to see if they can, you know, if they pass that test, then they can potentially transcend. They can potentially be the the ruler or the leader that the people deserve. Uh, but if they fail the test, then they're going to succumb to their own pride and their own desires. And instead of becoming like, you know, we've talked about this before. I think we talked about this in the Inter- Inception episode or Interstellar. I can't even remember which one. Um, oh, it would have been Interstellar. We talked about it in where humans have the option to become more than we are or become less and we almost become like the animals where we're just kind of succumbing to our desires left and right and that's what we see at this point he's at this test and he has to decide is he going to trade the is he going to trade everything he's come up with and all of his desires all of his purpose basically is he going to trade his soul for the world or is he going to say no and kind of give the screw you to Sorrento and take the hard road instead of maybe the easy road or the you know the road that just leads to the the good life for him and I I think the key here you know in
0: making that decision is and I'm sure this is on purpose but if you you don't I don't think you really get to see this in the virtual world but the IOI people the IOI folks They're all the same. They're all treated as a a commodity, right? And and they're all wearing the same outfit, you know, and they're all, you know, they're all the same. And obviously Wade, you know, if you can see what IOI turns you into a cog in the machine, you know, essentially, uh, and you lose your individuality, you know, I think that's, that pretty much makes the decision for him. Um, However, um there is a point at which sorrento mentions that you know hey yeah i I know you're using an emotional inhibitor now i don't know if that's because like his face literally freezes i mean it kind of shows that a little bit it's not like it's you know uncanny valley freeze but anyway i'll just gloss that um somehow he knows right and you know drew you and i have talked about how sorry why why was he using an emotional inhibitor why was he wanting to hold back his vulnerability there? Um, I think now's the time to kind of, you know, let's kick this around for a second and see, you know, why is that? Because he's going through this crisis during the test. Uh, right. It's a, a
1: a crisis, a dilemma, you know, decide or not, you know. Yeah. And he's built up to this decision for a long time. This, These decisions, this is as magnanimous leaders, we need to recognize this, that number one the test isn't only going to happen one time the test happens to wade multiple times and number two the test the big test is not the only test you're going to pass and fail small tests every single day along the way to that big test and you never know when the big test is going to come it's very you know very rare that you're going to be able to see it coming you know multiple days or weeks or months out before you hit the big test the big test is oftentimes oh you know oh crap something happened in the economy Or uh oh something, you know, a medical emergency hit my relative or something like that. That's what the big test looks like for a lot of humans. And that doesn't come with a lot of warning, usually. So that all of that said, the emotional inhibitor here, you know, he he is preparing for this moment all of all this time. And he's he's building himself into the kind of the person that can make a wise decision. He's using the emotional inhibitor because he wants to make a wise decision here, I think. And he's proven to us over time he saves artemis from kong right after he gets the first key he doesn't try to keep it for himself he shares it with his friends who at this point are not even his clan yet but you know he he chooses not to become too prideful as you know the one person that you know parzival he could have been it could have been a hero in the world but he, he he doesn't want all the fame and the recognition necessarily he doesn't shy away from it Um, I don't think leaders necessarily should just also try to shun all the shame and responsibility. But what he does do is he tries to share it. He tries to to keep himself from becoming too prideful so that in that moment, when there's a bigger test, he's able to do the smart thing. And that's what he does here. He hides his emotions because he doesn't want to succumb to his emotions. I'm kind of leading up to the answer to your question, Derek. He doesn't want to succumb to his emotions. And so for him in that moment, I think as a human. Um, He's kind of getting pulled in and out of the virtual reality and the physical reality. Normally, he just lives his life in the in the virtual reality. He's he's there all the time. That's alluded to multiple times in the movie like your life is virtual reality. But here he's getting pulled in and out, in and out, and his human emotions are actually affecting him. And so he's trying to use the backbone of good decision making and the good character that he's been building in himself for this whole time to not succumb to the easy option when the test is provided to him.
0: I think that's exactly on right on with that. And, and, you know, there's this I think the rules are expanding Uh, From before right so he used to go in he used to go to the library he used to go fill up his gas tank and his you know uh, DeLorean you know with some coins or whatever by having some skirmishes and and that was like the routine and now these rules are starting to expand and so yeah I think in that case like you can kind of I mean I can empathize with him and see that you know because these rules are expanding so rapidly Um, and it, uh, there's something here, you know, in terms of wisdom is when the game's expanding, what do you do? So I don't know if we can talk about that for a second, but uh, games go through expansion and contraction. Uh, Honestly, I think you want to play games that are expanding versus games that are contracting, but we'll, let's talk about a game that's expanding this episode and maybe wonder about the contracting game later. Um, but what do you think about that? What do you think about an expanding game?
1: Well, is, it, is it possible that the test can potentially expand or contract the game in a way? Well, the test generally, in, there are many different types of tests that we see. There are tests that expand and tests that contract. That contract. This test is a expanding of the game, especially for Wade. If he passes this test the way that he does, the game expands and his role expands, his kind of purpose expands, his team expands. You know, he because he passes this test, he doesn't even realize it yet. But he's starting to gain the kind of he's starting to gain this soft influence with the players of the game with the way that he has decided to build his his personal character and his avatars character. Public character, essentially. He's gaining clout with the rest of the players of the game, with the Gunters and stuff like that, even though he doesn't necessarily recognize it. So the alternative is if he fails this test and he takes it, the game continues to become bigger and Sorrento is able to gobble up more. You know, he's able to expand the game and potentially gobble up more of the world economy and stuff like that. But now Wade's role is diminished because he fails the test. His role becomes smaller in that larger game. Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say as far as, you know, in the real world.
0: Um, and, and I think there is, that that is the wisdom point. Uh, this is the magnanimous leader point right here. I I think, um, correct me where you think I'm, I'm wrong here, but it's just that you want to fight for a diversity of outcomes. Um, the most diverse outcome and, and, you know, have a lot of different, uh, possibilities and, I don't know, I, 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 it could just be me, but very often I do not want to feed the biggest player on the board. I'm like, they've had enough, um, you know, whatever. And But sometimes I, I do actually, I guess, break towards the big player. It just depends on the situation. And if I like the big player on the board, I'm like, I guess I really don't want to do that. So let's feed the big player, you know? <laughs> so I guess depends I can't say I can't say hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It depends on the game and, and it depends um, on the game in
1: monopoly. You don't want to feed the biggest player on the board because yeah, that's a very quick go. way to lose the game in monopoly. It's just to feed somebody. Who's going to be able to, you know, if you're feeding the biggest, if you're making a trade with a player in monopoly and you're going to give them another monopoly in a different area of the board and they already have, you know, spe- just think about it like the best, I don't know, humor me. I do like playing monopoly. If you're in the green area, at the end of the board, you know, on the fourth side of the board, essentially, those are the the kind of best monopolies to have or some of the best monopolies to have because they have a large payout. It's easy to hit the it's easy to land on those slots on the board. So the last thing you want to be doing is giving the, the big player in the game a monopoly in the green area when they're already they already have an edge because you're just starting to, to you know, knock down the nails on your own coffin, essentially, and on every other player's coffin. But because monopoly is a winner take all game. Now in other games, like you're talking about, maybe there's a smaller game. The smaller game is basically just, we need to do, we need to complete a project or the smaller game is we need to decide what we're gonna do as a family on a Saturday or something like that. And in those games, as a, it, it, I think it's okay recognizing that like, actually what we're gonna do here is we're gonna contract the game and I'm gonna contract the game by letting one fish eat all the other fish basically. Like we have one opinion, this person has a strong opinion. I'm just gonna let that opinion ride. And let that fish let that become the big fish in the pond here, but I recognize that that pond isn't huge. you do not want to do that when the pond is huge though if you that is where you run up against the big issue
0: <laughs> tell me more about that you're saying
1: when the, when the pond is big um, tell me what you mean yeah when the pond is big I mean when the, I'm talking about the scope of the game when the scope of the game is larger it's more imperative that we do not let one fish kind of gobble up the rest of the fish in the game and You know, it's the classic idea of like we want to even in even in the West where we have a more of an open market economy, we still have antitrust laws because we don't want one player to become so big in the game that they can they can set the rules of the game against all of the other players in the game that makes sense to me. And I got to tell you though, I just want to enlighten
0: you to a different monopoly strategy. And one is uh, it's one of Baltic Avenue and Mediterranean Avenue. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) the, the, the most cheaply uh, hoteled uh, yes, I just made up a word um, uh, properties in the game. And uh, you know, it's, so I I that was those were my favorites. It's funny that you picked it. I mean, I, I think it's great. I mean, Pennsylvania, North Carolina and Pacific, they are very uh, they can be very detrimental to your pocketbook if you do land on them with hotels on them. It's just, they take a while to build up. So and you have uh, go to jail.
1: As, I like it, too, because you have go to jail right there. So you're essentially setting up like four out of six slots. If the opponent lands on one of them, like they're taking a significant yeah. hit to their to their means. So I don't know, yeah. but no, I agree with you. For, I see what you're for saying. Building, we'll do a monopoly podcast at some point for, for building <laughs> early wealth. I agree with you getting the first properties yeah. right there are absolutely ideal for building wealth because the, the players are going to come across that early part of the board more often. It's cheap yeah, to mean, get started. Right, right. But getting, you
0: know, getting back to Sorrento, right. Um, I think we've, I think we've established it. Well, Um, he just doesn't want to, he doesn't want to feed into that. And it would obviously collapse the personal side of the game down. I mean, imagine you got to go to IOI every day. You can't just be under a bus, um, you know, doing your thing. And I mean, it, it, there's, it's, there's freedom in that, you know, the fact that he's under a pile of garbage and, you know, nobody's bothering him. And I think there's something, you know, something, uh, really nice about that. Eventually, like, obviously he's not even under the, the bus anymore, right? He's, he's over with the quote unquote resistance, um, and we don't really get to learn about that too much, but uh, they have rooftop uh, rooftop digs, and <laughs> so <laughs> big difference from living under a pile of trash. Now he's in the rooftop, um, so I think he's moving up in the world.
1: Um, oh, he's definitely moving up in the yeah. world here. But I, again, the I want to what I want to point out here is that it's good that he's moving up in the world physically and in the virtual in in the virtual game and in the Oasis. But it's better that he's moving up in the world in terms of character. That's what's really important to us, because in the end, that character is going to be so critical, because when when the luck turns for you in physical reality, that's great that, you know, you might get a raise. You might get a, you know, a huge bonus. You might get, you know, that thing you've been waiting for, a car, a spouse, whatever it is. And, and, And these things are incredible. But the luck will eventually turn the other way on you in some way, shape or form. And when the luck turns the other way on you, it's going to be good character that helps you weather the storm, not the the good luck that you've been having for this entire time, you know, that, that's led you to this kind of mountaintop or plateau of, of quote-unquote joy. So I just want to, if we're going to wrap this one up, let's talk about the two main things I think that we mentioned here. Number one is what do we do when the game happens faster than reality? What do we do, Drew? I think we find
0: the alternate... Sorry, we find a way to step to the side um, and realize that there are other circuits and pathways that we could, you know, be utilizing, that we don't necessarily have to be taking the turnpike.
1: Am I wrong? Yeah, I want to look somewhere else. Ideally, I don't want to. It's not to say that you don't have to play a fast paced game in 2021. You do. But. To be fair, we want to look for different ways we can view the game ways we can reframe the game and also kind of different games that can be played that are going to be played a little bit slower where we can use our advantages uh where we can kind of gain from our ability to think about things from our network and stuff like that to be able to gain an advantage rather than these fast-paced games where a lot of times the the advantage comes down to uh being willing to throw away you know all of your life or all of your time or all of your energy into these into these ventures to be able to pull something off uh, or luck. (laughs) Okay, and then last- Yeah, you had had another one there, right? Yeah, I just want to talk about the, yeah, the last one is the test, right? Is what does the test mean? Well, there's going to be tests within games. Um, those, Those tests kind of roll up into the overall game of life that we're playing here. And so I think what we learned from Wade is when we face those tests, we want to be able to, again, our emotions are really important as humans, but we want to be able to extract our emotions out from those tests. And we want to have built up our character along the way, the road to the tests along the adventure, so that when we hit those larger tests, because they usually come out of nowhere, we have the type of character um, where we can make wise decisions and we can choose to do things that expand the game overall and expand our influence um, or, or our purpose in the game in order to create the best reality for us and for all the people around us. Okay, that's perfect.
0: I can't add anything to that one for sure. Um, and I've had that reaction several times on Wonder Tour. Uh, thank you, Drew. Um, okay, if, if you have anything to add or you had a question uh, about, you know, like a, a good philosophical question to add in, you know, hit us up on the Wonder Tour on Twitter. And next week, we'll be doing the second half of Ready Player One. And just remember all who wonder are not lost. See you next time.